0: Welcome to the Politics of Special Forces podcast. In this 10 part limited
1: series, join me, Kevin D. Stringer, and me, Christian Brie, as we examine just what Special Operations Forces, or SOF, does and how that might need to change as we move into this new era of great power competition. Welcome back. Kevin and I started this project back in February of this year, and it's already our sixth episode, which marks the last episode for 2021. We have more episodes planned and our next installment will follow in the new year. But in this episode, Kevin and I had the pleasure of speaking with Erin Yancey. She is an emerging scholar and graduate student from the University of Waterloo. Erin is trained and educated in anthropology and has applied her capabilities to the study of special operations forces. While still rather new to the defense and security research community, she is already amassed an impressive research track record, and her work on the culture of Special Operations Forces has caught our eye. In our conversation, Aaron, Kevin, and I discuss both the shaping effect of culture upon Special Operations Forces organizations, as well as how the concept of culture can be operationalized by leaders to improve unit, and indeed individual, performance. We're thrilled to share this conversation with you. And now our chat with Aaron Yancey. Okay, well, we're joined by uh, Aaron Yancey this morning. And uh thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. It's a real pleasure to have us on. It's something we've been hoping to do for a while now. And uh it's wonderful that we were able to uh to fit it in um at this time. Um so uh yeah, thanks for for, for making the time, Aaron.
2: Thank you. I uh, enjoyed listening to all the previous podcasts, so it's great to be on.
1: Awesome. All right, well, we'll get right into it. So uh, you know, as a as an anthropologist and a student of anthropology, which uh, you know, I think is something that that that's that's really applicable to what we do here with uh, with examining special operations forces in in the context of great power competition. Um, but can you tell me a bit more about what you mean by the study of culture when it comes to military organizations and why it's important, just in general?
2: Um, sure. So um, to start from a common definition of uh, culture, I'm referring to a common way of thinking, acting, and meaning making within a group that's enduring over time. Uh, Despite changes to group membership, like we often see in the military, um, we can ask the question that culture in the military is interesting because on the one hand, it's a very long and enduring institution um, that has longstanding practices that are oriented towards its role and the nature of the work. Um, And yet it also requires a lot of its members and it becomes a total institution for them, So therefore, there's these deep cultural practices um, and structures. So it's always interesting to look at it um, from that perspective that there is like a sanctioned military culture, but then there's also a huge um, social culture that takes on a life of its own. Um, in terms of uh, the importance of studying um, the culture of military organizations, I would like to focus on when it's important to study. Um, and how we study it um, that makes it important. So for me, I I advocate for an in-depth study and access, um, more from the anthropological ethnographic perspective that requires participant observation. And this, um, I advocate, uh, should occur during times of transition. Um, so we see this um, in terms of soft culture in this really great ethnography by Dr. Tony Danielson um, of Norway's MJK um, in which she was asked to come in to study the culture because the command didn't know what the culture was. And they gave her the opportunity to study that culture because they also recognized that this was a time of transition for them. And what you get from that is a great study that is thick in its description that really understands from the perspective um, of soft operators, what their culture is like. And yet it also raises questions um, and it gives new perspectives for taking for granted hard programmed truths um, for soft. In terms of also why it's important for um, these institutions is that it's very people centric soft does what it does because of the people that they have and how they are organized as a group. Okay, I that's, hope that's okay.
1: I know that's that's awesome. In fact, it just got me really thinking here. You said something that I want to go a little deeper on, this idea of sanction versus social cultures. Do you mind that that sounds like a important concept. Can we unpack that a little bit? Um
2: Sure. So I think um, for what I've noticed in, in military culture is that there are certain rituals that are part of socialization practices. I guess in, in terms of unsanctioned cultures is, is what occurs after hours, what occurs off the base when you have individuals who um, are knit together by common experiences. Um, you know, How do they in some ways police themselves or, or teach each other um, for for how to be members of this military culture, or what are kind of the, what are the goes and what are the no-goes? What is acceptable behavior and what um, isn't? And, and how do, in some ways, they regulate themselves and regulate themselves as a group? So in terms of that, that's what I would say is, you know, there's that sanctioned culture in terms of, you know, if a military says, this is what we believe in, this is what we expect from our members, and this is how we reinforce it through our, our training. Um, and then what occurs in uh, a social sphere that military members um, participate in?
1: Yeah, no, Aaron, I just wanted to go a little deeper on that because it's—I it's, think it's a really important distinction, and uh, and and really helps sort of set the stage in terms of what what we're looking at. I think people can see right away how this applies to to you know, any organization, um, but of course in this context, uh, military organizations and and particularly special operations forces.
0: Aaron, I want to come to the discussion about the soft culture. One of the things that I found quite intriguing after reading the policy paper that will be accompanying the podcast is somehow almost a dichotomy. You seem to be offering that SOF needs to take an introspective look at its culture in order to prevent issues, but also to improve itself. But what I found interesting is most special forces units, one of their operational advantages is their cultural expertise. So I'd be curious how we can take that operational expertise that SOF across a number of countries has in terms of being culturally sensitive, able to deal with indigenous partners, uh, partners in different parts of the world, how that could be useful or not as they introspectively look at their own culture. Would would be open for your your thoughts or or direction on that. No,
2: I, I think that's a, a great question. And I would ask in that, um, for when SOF is trying to gain cultural expertise on other cultures, um, what is the purpose of that? Is it merely to understand and appreciate? Is it to be able to better to work within those other groups? Is it to be able to influence or co-opt that? So it's a good lens to think through um, this um, ability to ask themselves questions, because I would say that um, The the mindset and the skill set, which allows members of SOF to be culturally intelligent or to gain cultural expertise of other cultures can also enable them to understand their own practices or also participate with researchers in the study and the learning um, of their own culture. Um, And in terms of um, as as part of a, a, a cell, if SOF understands the importance of culture and understanding where someone is coming from or where a group is coming from or how they react in common situations. Um, That also should come with a recognition that it's important that we understand where we are coming from and how we react in those situations. Of course, in this um, example, sometimes it's a little too close to home. And that's where it's great when you have outsiders come in because then they make um, the soft culture it's foreign to an outsider researcher and they have to make it familiar to them. But then also for SOF, it's something that is so familiar to them that then they have to they have to make it strange and they have to kind of question um, those things that just seem natural to them. And I think um returning to that, that question of SOF having cultural expertise is that um which comes with that is continuous learning and and asking questions of the cultures that they are part of, it also makes um, a great um, enabler for the study of their own culture. Um, and, but and also the recognition that that requires that requires trust.
0: Trust to have an outsider come in. Is that what I should understand from that?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. trust to have an outsider come in, and also trust that this is something that is important to look at. Um, And trusting that process that, um, and what you find sometimes in cases where we're looking at the study of culture when something has gone wrong is we're trying to backtrack. We're trying to say, okay, we know what has been created. And now we're trying to backtrack and figure out what the role of culture had in this. Um, Whereas many times in ethnographic studies, it's, you know, we get a little lost, right? We start off with we, we've read the literature, say on soft, and we and we know some of these common things, but we have to prepare for that unexpected things to occur when you know you are with a group for a long period of time. Um, and for commands and also participants, um, it's important to recognize that 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 is a a process, and you need to trust that there will be something new that you will discover and 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 things that you will question because of the study.
1: That's that's really uh, great stuff, Aaron. Thank you. And and one of the big takeaways I took from that was this idea of education in culture, especially when you're looking, you know, whether it's looking at cultures of others or your own, really enables this idea of self-reflection, which I think is so important. That's that seems to be what you you, you mentioned that a few times. I just want to want to again flag that as, as a real important takeaway. Um, you know, I think it's no surprise that you know the Canadian Armed Forces, especially we're going through this, this, this self-reflective period. Um, and I think that's that's incredibly important to understand that connection between, you know, how we look at others reflects how we look at ourselves and and not losing sight of that, I think, is, is really critical. Um, so it's a great point. So thank you for bringing that forward. Um, another question I'd love to ask is, you know, what are the I know you, you mentioned MJK and we've looked at a bunch of different organizations through the course of your research. What are some common cultural themes that you see sort of cutting across soft organizations uh, writ large? Um, I'd be curious to get your take on that.
2: I think one thing that interested me in the study of soft and self culture is when you're reading about it, you see those common words continuously come up that describe the people, the organization and the culture, right? You, you, you know, driven, action oriented, creative, innovative, um, you know, tight knit operates with humility, Um, So those what I is what I would say is like, you know, some common themes on culture that appears um, in the literature. Um, And it's also exemplified in in words or phrases that are used. Right. We will find a way um, and that sort of thing. Um, What also became apparent to me is that these are very masculine spaces um, and masculine cultures um, as well. And um, you know, th- there's always that question um, that, you know, masculinity in itself is, is, not, a, is not a negative thing. Um, but recently I came across a, a really good um, article by Victoria Tate, Regendering the Canadian Armed Forces. And she, she says that, you know, masculine gender performance is only problematic insofar as it rationalizes oppression and violence. So, um, if a cultural, um, theme or a culture of soft is centered around, you know, the, the masculine, um, you know, there, in terms of diversity, you can ask the question of, of whether that is useful and which ways isn't it. But, um, y- you know, there's also that tension of, if you say that, say soft is the last bastion of masculinity, and then that becomes a problem because it reinforces certain behaviors like that. So that is, I think, a, a common theme that, I, that I've seen that hasn't really been, um, you know, studied in depth in terms of that way. Um, but returning to common cultural themes, we also have, you know, the themes of soft organizations, right? They're, you know, they're flat, They they're people-centric. Um, they focus on on training so that they can respond quickly that they're close to political decision makers. Um, so that's another aspect um, of of you know soft culture that I've noticed. Um, I also have noticed that they they draw upon shared histories um, such as um, you know World War II and you also see that sometimes in in artifacts in that culture, you know the certain patches, the colors, the uniforms. Um, and what I have also noticed is that, Um, soft culture can be a double-edged sword. So there's always, you know, the the same thing that might benefit soft and soft and are part of soft culture can also have negative um, implications or or be seen negatively, right? So you see um, humility, which soft always say that they're very humble, you know, that can sometimes only be reserved for insiders or outsiders might view that actually they aren't humble, or that idea of being a warrior and then also being a silent professional, and to highlight the word professional, right, are those two things in tension with um, each other? Um, and then uh, I, I would highly recommend that everyone has have a read of, of Danielson's ethnography, because I think she really does highlight that there is a softish mindset, um, and then also that you know, soft um other countries soft is like their imagined community of choice, each soft organizations.
1: Awesome, Aaron. We'll make sure we put the uh the Danielson reference in the show notes for this because I think you're right, that's really important. And I think it's fascinating how you uh you brought forward this idea of masculine energies um and and differentiating it and teasing it apart from what is effectively you know known as toxic masculinity and, and separating those two and, and saying they're not one and the same. I think it's really important and there's it's interesting there's a lot of Research out there, a lot of work, especially in the, the self help world, about you know the masculine and feminine energies and how having those in in a balance can is, is sort of what's optimal for individual performance. And I think the same thing could could apply to groups, and and sort of treating it that way and looking at it through that lens is much more constructive than just saying you know toxic masculinity that's what it's all about and these masculine organizations are horrible and 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 yada yada yada. So I think that's that's again it's a really important nuance that 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 you're bringing forward uh, to this conversation, which I think is helpful um they are different and and yet they bring different 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 things to the table different perspectives different capabilities that i think are are important um so at least to my my next question again just a really really going into this idea of of culture and special operations forces given all this given what you've seen in terms of the themes and commonalities between different organizations what are your thoughts on how to strengthen special operations forces units um through this reflection and focus on on culture what are some Mm -hmm. things we could do
2: Um, I would say a a starting point is to gather that baseline to understand where they are coming from, which requires, you know, that in-depth research. And then what they, what soft organizations choose to do with these insights um, can then be seen for, you know, what needs to be strengthened in soft units or or brought forward um, from that study of culture. But in terms of um, the actual process of of a study of soft culture and the reflexivity that it can that it can bring is that it provides a new lens and the opportunity to ask questions. So, an opportunity um, for soft organizations to ask questions. For um, especially because um, what, what is often highlighted is the high operational tempo. You know, you're always planning or, or working, so there isn't that that space to sit back. Um, and be able to pay attention um, to themselves in that way. So it provides an an opportunity for that. Um, It also, um, you know, studying soft culture can help understand um, resiliency of soft members. And this is something that uh, Dr. Danielson brought forward in her ethnography, right? What are the social practices um, that keep these individuals same because that that team culture is so important. Um, So Danielson found that, um, you know, their social practices allowed MJK to release tension and to make space for members to switch off um, and within a family context. Um, And then that is brought forward by social practices and, and rituals that then enable soft operators to do what they do both in the moment, but then also long-term to enable resiliency and growth. Um, and think something that I also noticed in the literature when talking about resiliency um, or any of these, some of these other issues of, of soft strengths is that, you know, everyone always seems to mention, oh, it'd be great to do more in-depth study of this. Oh, like, you know, we think we understand some aspects of soft resiliency, but, you know, the, the cultural aspect that needs more in-depth study. Um, and also in terms of in the process of of studying soft culture, it can also strengthen that reflexivity muscle. Um, so soft being able to ask questions about um, themselves and understand themselves better to know how their culture has been shaped or also um, what are the consequences of the way their culture has appeared, both good. And bad, and then recognize in the future what might need to change or shift based off of having a knowledge of, of where they are at um, now and where they have come from.
0: So, Erin, in that regard, I'd like to follow up. Uh, Christian's question kind of leads us to the the contemplation: what What can we do? You've talked about being open to to study culture. I'm thinking of the the, the classical soft commander. These are very pragmatic. Men who are at the, the top of their careers, but they've been very vexed by culture. And You you highlight a number of examples uh, from a variety of countries. Uh, they want their units to have the best of self-culture self and what that means, but they want to eliminate anything that's toxic or negative. So I'd like to ask you, if you were going to advise a generic soft commander, uh, Canada, U.S., or one of the NATO allies, what would be one of those two or three points that you would say general colonel this is what you should do to really take the theoretical discussion of soft culture and apply it for unit effectiveness.
1: you know for me i i sort of look at it as um you know like kevin was saying you know what are what are the actionable items and there's a few that i see and and you know for the me for me the big one is is this this idea of self-reflection like god we're getting all this you do all this cultural awareness training we do all this you know, and especially for for our, our partners mm-hmm. to the south in the United States, uh, they have you know region-specific expertise, and that's mm-hmm. all great. But are they taking the time to think about you know as they learn all this, like, hey, you know, are they questioning how their culture uh, impacts? Mm-hmm. So are they questioning the lens through which are they are they taking that sort of critical step of looking at what are the biases, what are the values that I bring to the table when I show up at work every mm-hmm. day? Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there's there's lots of examples of of uh you know, I, i'm i'm just rereading right now norman dixon's book uh, on the psychology of military incompetence for example and one of the great it's a great book <laughs> it is, okay one of the, i should of that book is as you read it reading these stories of of horrific military leadership
2: mm.
1: is you're not supposed to read it and condemn them you're supposed to read it and look to yourself and say geez is there anything i'm doing that is like mm-hmm. this that's the purpose of the book mm-hmm. right um and 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 i think in that
0: vein that's the issue there are no bad regiments only bad colonels so (laughs) that the soft commander has the issue there are cultural issues out there what should they do and i think we're kind of speaking bluntly here we get a lot of academics that come in and with a study all right well studies are great they get read and then they get unfortunately put somewhere in a staff director and not followed up good commanders are actually seeking how can i take this and then apply it i think you as an outsider Mm -hmm. giving one or two examples that'll then be listened to on the podcast Mm
2: -hmm. could be
0: helpful um they don't need to be perfect either it could be a start point Mm -hmm. but i'm trying to my question was really to try to move away from the study and reflection to what should they actually do i mean christian's Mm -hmm. right we should self-reflect what does that mean for a commander
2: yeah i think for a um for a commander it's it's through this study understanding what what is the role of leadership in, in culture um in terms of you know formal leadership as a as a commander but also what what are if I'm looking for culture change what is not possible like what where are my limitations as a leader because say you have leaders that that come in they come out the culture stays and people stay. So for leadership, it's it's understanding what are small daily things that we, we can implement, which can lead to changes or, or changes in practices, um, but also what can we, we not promise in terms of culture overhaul that comes from the top. And that's where I think this this self-reflexivity comes in and, and this buying comes in um, with, with soft operators is that, you know i okay and now i'm armed with this knowledge um and and i've and a question kind of these taken for granted truths okay what what am i gonna change about that or what needs to change or what is this thing that i see has dual sides to it you know say that say that drive um to always be there for your team okay now i recognize that there there's dual sides for it and this is kind of how it appears and how it impacts me. Okay, what are those small daily changes that I can make? Um, so it's, it's recognizing um, when you get into this issue of culture change, and if I can make another book re- recommendation is uh, Dr. Samantha Crumpets uh, who, who questions when we when something goes wrong and we quickly say, let's look at culture change. Right. And that's also why I advocate for studying culture during times of transition, because then you don't have those immediate, Okay, we need to implement culture change right away. And it's going to come from the top. So I think that that is one suggestion there. It's also in terms of something to discuss is that when we look at culture. Sometimes culture, again, with this double sided. It, you know there's not good or bad right or wrong um instead when examining culture we can see whether it's properly aligned with the organization's mission and environment so you can ask that question of is our culture properly aligned with what we um have to do or what we might have to do in the future or how has our culture been shaped by missions that we have had in the past or environments that we have had in the past and what have been the outcomes
1: of that i i think that helps a lot aaron um and certainly what i get from that is is and and this mirrors with 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 some of the work i've done myself in in this space that you know culture change while there needs to be that organic component from the ground up if the Mm -hmm. top doesn't buy into it it's not going anywhere and Mm -hmm. you know you see this with respect to uh, in, in the private sector, a lot, and I think we see it in, in, in government organizations and the militaries too. With you know the importance of values, and I know again it sounds really fluffy and fuzzy, but you know if if an organization doesn't have a sense of what its values are, it's lost. It needs that anchor. And there's some wonderful work uh, coming out of the, the the realm of of the private sector. You know whether it's Jim Collins uh, Beyond Entrepreneurship or you know B2.0, his his latest book, um, where he talks about you know those values being your anchor. Mm -hmm. it's it's from that that everything else flows and it's got to come from the top sorry you look you're gonna yeah yeah, no
2: and and also what are those those values that are stated what are those values that appear in a soft narrative versus how do they appear in reality right um and that's where I think study can can flesh that out or can can say you know here's what you say you do but also here is how it appears or here is how um, it it's, it's, it shows up in daily life, or here's how it shows up in the way you operate.
1: And it goes back to the point you made earlier about sanctioned versus social cultures. You know, and I think in an ideal world, if we're sort looking at you know, what this looks like, what right looks like, which is kind of where I like to lean on a lot, is ideally the sanctioned and the social are one and the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's when that separation occurs, that we start to have problems, mm-hmm. um, or at least a risk of problems, because perhaps there's social cultures that are actually quite constructive and in fact uh reinforce the sanction culture but then again that's that they're aligned so it's all good so it's that mm-hmm. misalignment that you i think you mentioned I think you use that language actually in, in one of your earlier answers you know i think that's that's spot on and again just to sort of think about you know what is what should be what should commanders be thinking about this this is the kind of language i think that would be really helpful for them if and i think sanctioned versus unsanctioned and that alignment and and whatnot
2: and I think for commanders, um, I'm assuming it, you know, it must be difficult for example to bring in the, the example of Kansov, right? You have all these different units with their own history, with their own structures and, um, you know, going off and, and doing different things. So, you know, they they all have their own culture and yet it's united under this Kansov culture. Well, what is that or what are the what are the differences Um to that so it's the recognition of well you can speak to a larger say soft culture or even like a, a can soft culture right what makes canadian soft canadian soft there also is that recognition of of each unit will have its own culture or even within that unit there will be different subcultures
0: erin i'd like to maybe ask one kind of final question from my side based on the conversation we often put labels on our Special Operations Forces when we kind of talk about the culture. I'm going to just give two or three labels. It was just like a commentary from you. So we hear about the culture of warriors. We hear about cultures of soldiers. We hear a couple people talk about soldier diplomats. Um, what should we think about in terms of labels? And are they even helpful or maybe they unhelpful? would we'll be curious for your your, your insight to that
2: mm-hmm. Labels are a way to put into one word these these multifaceted things, um, and they can be employed at, at different times, right? When you employ the the word um, you know warrior diplomats, that's very different when, say you employ the word um, you know uh, a, a soldier. Right. Or a warrior. Right. Each of these things, when you employ them, do different things or they talk about different aspects of soft. Um, Or when you use these words, right, you are you are highlighting what you deem is important of that individual or that mindset that is important. So say you have, um, you know, I would also say, like, what is the you know, if you were to say, you know, soft are, are teachers, or, or that, right? You, you're employing kind of a, a different a different mindset um, in terms of what you are asking them to do or also what you're asking their identities to be and to orient themselves around.
0: Aaron, thanks for that. Uh, one could also go further in this discussion, the enabler versus the operator or the enabler and operator. I find it interesting because I do think it plays somehow into the cultural discussion. And I think your, your comment of soft as a teacher is actually a very intriguing one, especially as we think about great power competition and campaigning. Um but with that I'll, I'll pass it over to Christian for a close.
1: Sorry, I was just you can't see it on the on the on the recording, but I was pointing emphatically at Kevin after that point about uh why about this 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 shift and you know we're talking identities here. That's what we're talking about. Like mm-hmm. these labels are identities and this notion of of the soft as teacher being the the role that is far more applicable to great power competition um, than perhaps uh, in in other spaces, other contexts, because that is what what is in essence the gray the that 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 or not, I don't want to say the gray zone. I should try to walk away from that. But this that 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 transition space at the upper end of competition, where we're right below the threshold of conflict. What is it we're trying to do? Well, we're building partnership capacity. We're we're and and that is that's teaching. It's mentorship, it's coaching, but it's in essence, it's teaching. And I think that is a fantastic way to sort of think about it. So you, you talk about, you know, um, what do we need to do as, you know, if, if we were in charge of an organization, what would we want to do? We'd want to change that mindset. And I this this brings back, I'm going to tell a little bit of a war story. So, you know, everyone grab your helmets. Here we go. But in my workup training for the provincial reconstruction team, you know, going on over 10 years ago now, we had this challenge in my rifle company. That I was the uh, the company second in command for, we had been doing all our workup training for for and all our collective training for years leading up to you know, when we got tagged for the mission and all that. It was all you know. It's an infantry battalion. It was very high intensity. There was a little bit of other types of operations and stuff, but you know the the bread and butter for a soldier in an infantry battalion is that sort of high intensity conflict. And in a rifle company, it's it's the company attack. It's the combat team attack. Right. It's it's very. Uh, sort of full full scale high intensity operations. that's what we that's what we're training for. And especially when we you know when things are happening in Afghanistan, you think of this the mid2000s, you know Canada's back in combat for the first time since Korea. this is the 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 messaging and the and the values that the soldiers are taking in that we're going to combat. we're going to war, right? And yet I'm taking this rifle company with my my company commander and I we're going overseas to Afghanistan with the provincial reconstruction team. We're the force protection company. We're not going to be going and engaging in in combat team operations. We have to be ready for that because that might be something that happens, but as as the defined mission set, that's not our job. And so we took great pains prior to our deployment to get that shift in, in the soldiers' mindsets that they're not going in to conduct raids and offensive operations, they're going in to basically do patrolling and escort and close protection. And it was a very different set of skills that we were asking our soldiers to focus on. And it was a mindset shift. And that was if we can shift the mindset, the rest of the skills follow, right? Because the skills are the skills. You know, Your proficiency with a small arm is the same regardless of whether you're doing a section attack or you're on a patrol standing on a cordon in a, in a city somewhere but the mindset needs to change and achieving that shift prior to our deployment was probably one of our biggest missions. So I think it's a, it's a fascinating, it just, it really got me thinking about this importance of that, that identity shift, you know, and when we start thinking about SOF as, as, as Kevin mentioned, you know, in great power competition, yes, direct action is still important. That's always going to be there, but this idea of capacity building, foreign internal defense, you know, strategic reconnaissance, all these other tasks that are are also important or even more important now in Greek power competition that requires a bit of a mindset shift so i think this idea of soft as teacher is is intriguing and one i think is really worth sort of retaining and and, and again marking as as something to think about going forward so again aaron thank you so much for sharing that kevin did you have anything else you want to add
0: um i think we're we're mission complete it's a good good podcast
1: awesome aaron thank you so much uh for for joining us (laughs) Um, anything you want to say? Any 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 last thoughts or comments before we sign
2: off? Uh, no, I I, I don't uh, think that there's there's anything else. Again, always always encourage anyone if they're you know. And the great thing about ethnography is it's always an interesting read. So to pick up uh, Dr. Danielson's book. Perfect.
1: Yeah, we'll include all of those uh, as well as other names and books that you had mentioned. We'll include those all in the show notes because I think that's important and that helps. Um, with, with the learning that we're all trying to facilitate with this series. Uh, so Aaron, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you.